from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. That's where you're tuning in to the show Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. MixLR obviously stands for Mix Live Radio. And if you go to mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt, or if you download the MixLR app and search Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, if you click follow, it'll prompt you to become a member. It is free, and membership has its privileges. As a member, you'll be able to chat with us in the live chat room during shows like this one, and you'll also have the opportunity to get an email every single time the show goes live. As soon as I hit the button in the studio, as soon as we go live in that second instantaneously, you're sent an email to any one of your devices, and all you have to do is open that email and click to listen. It is that simple and that easy, so membership truly does have its privileges. And, of course, we're here on Facebook Live, facebook.com backslash live now DT, something we added last year and I'm so happy that we did, that allows you to hang out with me in the studio as well as when we get to do some things on site, on location. So however you're listening or watching, thank you so much, and we appreciate it. In this part of the show here on Friday, TGIF, we're having some fun with Brendan Murphy. Brendan Murphy is the current host of MU Courtside, and this show is something, as you know, anybody that's listened near and dear to my heart, first thing I ever worked on uh, really, in this world of, of sports and back in 2003, I can't believe it's been 17 years. This man has done a fantastic job, and he did one of the nicest things that anybody has ever done for me in my 34 years of existence, and that was to ask me to come and guest host on, on the show that, that I created back in 03 and said, hey, do you want to sit with me and do a broadcast? And I said, absolutely, without even question, without any question. You know, if it was Super Bowl Sunday and this show was going on, I would have chose to go back to courtside. That's how much Mary Wood and, and all of this has meant to me. So he gave me an opportunity last year that felt like I won an Emmy. And then he asked me to do it again this year. So I, all I know about Brendan Murphy is he works hard. He has done a tremendous job inside and outside of Mary Wood. He's getting professional experience. Well, he's in school. He knows what he's doing. I see a lot of success in his future. And he's one of the nicest people that I met because the hand that he extended out to me is something that I will never forget. So I know that uh, that Brendan didn't expect this type of intro, but I do want to let you all know that he gave me one of the greatest honors of my life, and I'll always appreciate that. And and then he did it a second time. So I don't know what he's thinking, letting me on the air again. But Brendan Murphy, how are we doing today? We're doing good, Dan. And you, uh, are you sure you, even if the Jaguars made it to the Super Bowl, you wouldn't want to uh, go to that instead? Don't tempt me with the Jaguar. Don't don't. What, what is it? I mean, did you see Avengers Endgame? Did you see that movie? I did not. I've been. I haven't really caught up on that. Okay. Well, I, I really so basically, you don't have to see it to know this part. One of the, one of one of the guys loses his his wife and his kids, and in this in this tragedy that happens in 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 the universe. And his best friend comes and finds him and, and he's, you know, been retaliating. He's kind of become a vigilante and he looks at her and she says, I think we have a way to get him back. And he says, don't. And she says, don't what? And he says, don't give me hope. And that's exactly how I feel when you say, well, what if Jacksonville? I'm like, don't Brendan, don't give me hope. Don't, 
Don't do it. We still have Doug Marone. Listen, I had Doug at Syracuse. I have him again. I'm surprised that the Jaguars kept him, but they got to make the playoffs this year. That's all I know. That's all I know. Well, I tell you what, with with Gardner Minshew, a quarterback, he's been like an inspiration to me. He's one of the coolest uh, football players I've seen in a long time with his little his mustache and all the, the crazy outfits that he wears. But he's awesome. His, uh, that team's got – they got some work to do, but they're – they're looking up, though. Well, and the thing is, I said, if you're going to trade away Jalen Ramsey, I want two first-round picks. I was told that I was nuts. I said, no, I want two first-round picks. Give those give those to me and whatever else, and I'll give you Jalen Ramsey. Dan, you're nuts. It's never going to happen. Some people thought I was crazy. Some people thought maybe. Well, at the end of the day, the Rams gave up a first-round pick in 2020 and a first-round pick in 2021. So the Jaguars, over the next two years, have four first-round draft picks and all the other picks that they got. So I got what I wanted. I got the head case out of the locker room. And guess what? Marcel Darius, who's the biggest cap hit that they'll have this year, it's a club option, and he's another problem in the locker room, so they'll free up some money there. And Gardner Minshew, I said this early in the season, I said when Jalen Ramsey was on the team, the best way to combat everything that he was doing negatively, having that kid that's just bouncing. You've had one. I've had one. There's always a kid in class that bounces in the back of the classroom, look at me, look at me, and it's just a pain in the butt because they need attention because for some reason their happiness doesn't come from within. And Jalen Ramsey was that guy in the locker room. They get rid of him, and in the midst of all this stuff when he was still there, I said, you know what the best PR move is? Get Gardner Minshew stuff. Get the headbands, get the mustaches, take the positive guy who's happy all the time and just put all of your marbles into his basket. And that's exactly what they did. So two awesome things happen. People kind of forgot about the loss of Jalen Ramsey because of the excitement of Gardner Minshew. And the second thing is I'm still waiting for my my invoice to go through with the Jaguars at this point. Well, I just think that Gardner Minshew is the man because he just, he tried to break his hand so that he could get an extra year of college eligibility. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> but I mean that that Jaguar seems looking up. I mean even though he got Nick Foles' contract there, I think he's really only going to be good in Philly just because of all things considered. He didn't play well when he left Philly the first time, and clearly he got hurt this year and didn't do well when he came back. So I mean you just got to get some. Uh, you use those four first round picks on some. Uh, some good players. There's a couple of good classes coming out, and even if you don't think Gardner Mitchell's the guy, I mean, next year, you've got some good quarterbacks coming out. Well, and this is the thing, too, is, you know, Gardner Minshew is a steal. He's a six-round draft pick. Tom Brady was a six-round draft pick, but here's Gardner Minshew, six-round draft pick. Irony and how small the sports world is. I covered East Carolina. I've covered East Carolina for the past six-plus years. He was at East Carolina, and then he went over to Washington State. I already knew about Gardner Minshew before he went over to Washington State with Mike Leach and had that prolific offense, and now Mike Leach is at Mississippi State. But to have that and then to see he's going to Jacksonville, to me it was really cool to finally have that you know round you know opportunity where I'm in the locker room just walking by the guy. And so that's the fun part of it. And, and the other piece of it with this is, is that you know they, they did get a steal, but here's my thing that I've been shopping Carson Wentz has not been healthy for one single postseason, including this postseason when he played in the game and everybody's like, oh my God, he got here. He gets hurt in the second series when he gets hit by Jadavian Clowney. So does Jacksonville call Philadelphia and say, hey, remember how every time Wentz got hurt, you had this miracle man, Nick Foles? Well, you can have him back for this price. 
I, I if I'm Jacksonville, I would at least for for nothing else just humor myself by having the conversation with Philadelphia. It's worth a shot. I mean, still to this day, I think that the Eagles should have just traded Carson Wentz and kept Nick Foles. I mean, now granted, Nick Foles is nowhere near the player Carson Wentz is, but clearly he's had more success. And you got Carson Wentz, a young quarterback who's mobile. Granted, he has a couple of ACL injuries, but he's still a really good pocket passer and he can make stuff happen with his legs. Why don't you trade him and get a couple of first rounders for him and keep Nick Foles and just keep running with your team? I just don't really see why they decided to let Foles go. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's an interesting situation right now, but I think Jacksonville stands to capitalize, and if for nothing else, they have first round picks. I didn't know we were going to go with Jacksonville to start things off, but Brendan, I I like you better as a person. I liked you before, but now I like you a little bit more as a human being. Do you have a favorite team? That would be the, unfortunately for me, the New York Jets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, all right. My buddy Ross is a big fan. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I was. I'm always been a big Sam Darnold guy. So I was on the air on my sports radio show, which I don't do anymore. But I was on the air during the draft and went nuts when the Jets took Sam Darnold. So clearly, I'm pretty passionate about it. But here, here's the thing, though. You, so you, you're a big Sam Darnold fan. Le'Veon Bell. He he talks about. He's the best running back in the country, should be paid as such, over $14 million a year. The irony is that he didn't take the the franchise tag, which would have been $14.5 million at the time. But he says he's the best. The Steelers are successful with a bunch of different guys behind their line. And here we are with him being behind the Jets line. And obviously, he's not the best in the nation. Do you let go of Le'Veon Bell? Do you try to shop him? Or do you hold on to him? What's your What's your thoughts on Le'Veon Bell? Personally, I love Le'Veon Bell because I think he's been great for that locker room. I know mixed with Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh, it wasn't the greatest thing ever. But I think if you put some decent linemen in front of Le'Veon and Sam Darnold, that he's going to be able to go back to maybe not quite the best running back in football like he was in Pittsburgh, but still can get back to that top five elite running back territory because he's able to be so patient when he runs the ball. And if he can actually get a hold of run through, then he'll be a lot more effective. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot. To, I mean, what is your favorite part of the Jets right now? That's part one of the question. My second part to you is Adam Gase did not win in Miami, yet the Jets felt the need to take him and keep him in the AFC East. So what's your favorite thing about the Jets right now, number one? And number two, is Adam Gase the right person? Well, I'm going to answer your second question first. The answer is no, he's not the right person. The answer to that question is the guy that Dallas just hired with uh, Mike McCarthy. And when he said flat out last year he would only interview for the Jets job and he would only take the Jets job, I don't know what Mike McCagnin was thinking, which clearly after the draft that he had made sense with them deciding to fire him. But I don't know why you're going to let a guy run your draft and then fire him, but... Ultimately, I think that uh, the Jets are looking up. I definitely like the way they finished off the season, considering the team that they had. But I was expecting when they started off 1-7, I was like, all right, let's try to get <laughs> Chase Jones. Yeah. But then they decided to go on a win streak. They win six out of the last eight and finish 7-9. and nine. So I can't be too disappointed because at the end of the year, they're playing some exciting football. And it's it's kind of the craziness of it, though, is 
you beat the Cowboys when the Cowboys at the beginning of the season were supposed to be a good team and there's supposed to be something, some weight to them, but then you give Cincinnati their only win of the season. So it, it kind of throws you in. I'm still not over that. I, I, and I understand that. You know, I, I get that wholeheartedly. So what do you want to see them do in the draft? Because obviously, like you said, they fall. They're at pick 11. What what do the Jets need the most? And to kind of go back to that other point, what is your favorite thing about the team right now, and, and what do they need? Well, if you look at the draft board, they're probably in one of the strangest places in the draft because you're in a spot where you need some offensive line help, especially at left tackle because they have absolutely nothing there. You need a number one, a true number one receiver because Robbie Anderson is really not a number one receiver, and he's a free agent. So you kind of need some help there. You need some help in the secondary. You you still need an edge rusher. So there's still a lot of things that the team needs. So I say probably if you're gonna if you have Jerry Judy sitting there at number eleven, it's kind of hard to pass him up. But the wide receiver class is so deep that maybe you move back and then take a a D lineman and then take a couple receivers later in the draft because of how deep the class is. But overall, probably line help is your first need, but I definitely, probably my favorite thing so far is the the way that Sam Darnold has progressed because even when he came back after that whole bout with Mono in the beginning of the season, it almost looked like he really hadn't missed a step because he comes back, yeah, you have the Cincinnati game, that happened. But he's led the team to six out of the last eight games with a win. So he's he's definitely getting better, and I'd love to see that out of him. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Jets do as they move forward. I, I, I said that Sam Darnold, in my opinion, was going to have more like the Peyton Manning career where he was going to throw interceptions, lose games, and not have success initially, but would eventually progress and get there. Can you see any parallels between the two? Do you get a sense that – He's just going to get better with time, or what? What are your thoughts on Sam Darnold's progression? Yeah, I mean, what he got to do last year is when he got hurt, he got to sit behind Josh McCown and watch a true pro approach everything, and I think that was really beneficial for him because this year he comes out, he seems a lot more prepared, he seems a lot more disciplined. Yes, he's still throwing his interceptions and everything, but and going back to Adam Gase. That might be part of the reason why they just hired Adam Gase is because of how well he worked with Peyton Manning. So you could kind of see some comparisons there because now Gase has been able to work with both of them. And he's kind of had Peyton's ear too because he's trying to figure out what he wants to do with his career and how he's going to progress and everything. So he is really starting to improve, and I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of Sam. Yeah, and we'll have to see where he goes from there. In the division, Miami's got three picks in the first round. They gave away the house. At one point, it felt like there was a yard sale for the Jets and the Miami Dolphins, and now we're sitting where we're sitting as we see things shift around. It's time to shift our gears into MU courtside and into Marywood, so we're keeping with the green, but we're heading off to Marywood. What have you taken away from this season so far? We'll start with the men's side of it, and then we'll work our way to the women's side as well. What are you seeing? It's Enrico Mastriani's fifth season with the team. What's he showing you up to this point? What's your take on the current state of men's basketball at Marywood? Well, Enrico has basically shown that he's all in about winning games, and he's he's a fiery guy. I mean, you know that. He, he's always all about trying to get his players into it, and sometimes it takes a toll on him, but he's 
he's a, a fair coach. He know he's a, a very energetic guy, and he's pushing his players to do the best they can. And realistically, it's been a bit of a slow start for them this year. But going and losing your two best players, a lot of times you're going to start slow. But I tell you what, uh, Jack DeGroote has really stepped up for them this year and kind of taken the place of Tip Schwartz. And I actually said this last year at near the end of the year, and I've told Jack this too, that uh, he was probably going to be the guy to step in for Tip. And he's basically a, just a shorter version of Tip because he's got that shooting ability and he can drive inside. The only difference is he's got about a five-inch disadvantage from Tip being only six foot. But he's definitely stepped up a lot. They've had some help inside with uh, Matt McKenna, who was a big uh, a big transfer in this year. He's done a really good job. His only big big issue is he's gotten into foul trouble occasionally. But I think part of that is because some of the officiating has gotten a little weaker because they'll stand there with their hands up and guys will run into them and now they're calling it a foul. Because I don't know about you, but when I first started playing basketball, you put your, you stand underneath the basket with your hands up and don't move. That's not a foul. And now they're starting to call that a foul. Yeah. And I just don't understand that. Well, you know, I think it's it's the whole thing about the collegiate game in general. We talk about it at the D one level, but the NCAA just wants they want to see you score points. And so it's just gotten to a point where it's it's getting ridiculous. You can't you can't you can't take a charge. You can't try to block a shot. You can't play you know any type of really physical defense. You can't even touch somebody's pinky with with the tip of your finger or something like that. I mean, it's it's gotten to the point where it's kind of laughable because I miss the physicality of it. I grew up in the old Big East. I grew up with UConn, Syracuse, Pittsburgh, Georgetown, Villanova. These were dog for St. John's. They were dog fights. And, you know, that that's and I miss it. And I miss it so very much and I miss it so much more when I see all this garbage that we, you know, that there, nobody's allowed to play defense anymore. And so it, at any level, it's starting to go away. And it's very frustrating to know that if you put your hands up and you plant your feet and somebody runs into you, that's a charge. I mean, I remember trying out for a basketball team and getting this one guy kept going down the middle over and over and over again. And I said, screw it. And when I saw him come down, I said, he's going to do it again. I stepped to the middle of the lane. I put my hands up. I stopped my body. And I, I got hit. I got hit hard. He fell on top of me. I fell on my tailbone, but I took a charge. And I, I don't, I don't know. It's beyond me, Brendan, that, you know, they, it seems like they don't want anybody to play defense anymore. It almost seems like we're playing that MTV celebrity basketball where they're taking the nine-point shots and all that stuff now. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's just, I just would wish that they'd actually let the kids play as they should, but... I really quickly want to go back on your point about the Big East because the Big East back in the day was you had some really tough games. And one that I remember vividly was you remember the six overtime game between Syracuse and UConn? I was living in my first apartment, living in my first apartment in Dunmore right after I graduated from Marywood. Game started at nine o'clock. My buddy Ross, still one of my best friends, Ross Turetsky, him and I were sitting there and he said, he said, all right, I'm going to watch the game, but I'm tired. I'm going to go home after. They go into overtime. He goes, well, I should watch overtime. Second overtime, he's like, ah, you know, I'm here. Third, after, it was like, at this point, I'm just, you know, he was there until it was done. The game ended at like 1.20 a.m., started at, at 9 p.m., and I remember kneeling in front of my TV 
four minutes down the road from Marywood. I was kneeling in front of the TV like Bayheim was going to put me in. I was I I was so I mean I yeah I remember that game and that that's like not to, not to interrupt your point and what you were saying but like that game games like that I went to the last you know in Madison Square Garden the last big true Big East old Big East tournament and you know there was nothing like those games and there was nothing like a six overtime game against Syracuse and UConn you don't see that anymore and even to this day and. Granted, I was 11 when this game happened. It was, I think it was 2009. I just Don't make me feel that. old, Brendan. Don't come on my show and do that. <laughs> and, you're, and you're not even that old. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> but, like, in hindsight, at least for me, I'm looking at that saying, man, that might be one of the greatest games of any sport that I've ever seen until I think back to the Super Bowl where the Patriots came back and beat the Falcons and I – just reminded myself of that, and I'm trying not to because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know me as a Jets fan. I try not to – I don't like the Patriots at all. So, clearly, I was very happy when they lost last weekend. Yeah. No, and, that, and that's the thing. And, and and by the way, I mean, how happy are our fans right now? But, I mean, it was so crazy. The first AFC game went into overtime. The first NFC game went into overtime. The Saints, Taysom Hill, he throws a 50-yard pass. He gets a rushing touchdown. He gets a receiving touchdown. Then you got Drew Brees and all these other guys. But Kamara has 21 yards, and Latavius has 21 yards, and they somehow lose to Minnesota. Now Minnesota and Green Bay both have a chance to advance, and I have Green Bay and Minnesota. I do have them both advancing. And then we look at the other side. I said Baltimore was going to work with Lamar Jackson. And, and that's another thing you get laughed at. Lamar Jackson can't pass the ball. I love what he said at the beginning of the season when he had, what, five touchdowns in a game, and he said, that's pretty good, and he paused, and he said, for a running back. And so, you know, I mean, he's fantastic. And, and, and I had him for three years with Louisville. That's why I find it so important to always continue to branch out and stretch your network because I w- if I was just like everybody else in Syracuse and I was just closed barn doors and I'm focusing on Syracuse and that's it, I wouldn't know anything about Lamar Jackson. But I covered him. I spoke with him. I spoke with Bobby Petrino about him. When he came to the NFL, I was like, listen, it's going to work. I think it's great. I pushed for him to start immediately. I thought that they were going to have success, but that this year was going to be a building year. I said, let's say seven and nine, but it's going to work. I think the system's going to work. They win 13 games with him at quarterback because he sat the last week. And, and and they're the number one number one team in the nation, number one team in the AFC. They got first they, they have home field advantage all the way through. They got through the wild card without having to play a game. I, I'm ecstatic about, you know, Kansas City being so good after they went through all their turmoil and injuries and taking guys off the team and what's gonna happen with Tyreek Hill. Houston is dangerous. Titans are dangerous, but they're playing Baltimore. Minnesota and Green Bay are both dangerous, but the Seahawks are there. The Niners have something to prove, although I think they're going into the playoffs a little bit weaker. So, yeah, and you know what? You brought up the best point. Outside of 9% of America, the other 91% are going, yeah, Dan, what did you just say? All that great stuff, but what did you mean? The Patriots aren't in it anymore. And I still think that Bill Belichick, I still think, that he's going to find something in the NFL rulebook that goes, well, you know what? This is a loophole. We're going to play next week. And I, because I, I don't believe that he's, out, I never believe he's out of it. But as of right now, the Patriots are not playing. And doesn't that make 91% or more of America just be happy to watch the playoffs at this point? Absolutely. And I know that now there is one of my roommates who's a little upset because my, my one of my roommates, Austin, is a big Patriots fan. So, 
if he's listening, Austin, I apologize. But uh, I think most of America is glad to see the Patriots out. But what you what you said about Lamar Jackson is one hundred percent true. I mean, he's done it. He did it at Louisville, and I was one of his doubters, and along with a lot of other people, that he wasn't going to be able to do it in the NFL. And now, granted, he is proving me wrong, and I'm enjoying watching him play. I'm just hoping that, at least for his sake, that the teams are not figuring him out. Because I think with a guy like this, now that he's played for two years, there's going to be a lot of tape on him. So it'll be a little bit easier to prepare for him. So that if you have basically put on a spy for him the entire game, you're at least going to be able to account for the run. And then you're going to almost make him have to throw the ball. And he really doesn't have that accurate of an arm. So if you have to make him throw the ball, you're going to exploit his weakness. Well, the thing is, I mean, he's done a lot better throwing the ball. He's done a lot better getting the ball out to the right guys. They've gotten some talented guys. They were smart in the draft with Miles Boykin and and Marquise Hollywood-Brown. So they have done some good things, and he's been able to showcase himself and, and the fact that, that he's better at, you know, at, at passing the ball because everybody expects him to run. There's a lot to be had here. But I thought the Super Bowl, I, I thought the Saints had a shot this year. And, you know, I, I, I definitely think Baltimore on the other end. With the teams that are left, who do you think is going to do it? Well, I've been a big supporter of the 49ers most of the year. And like you said, they are, they're a little bit weaker coming into the playoffs. But I just, there's something about Jimmy Garoppolo that really makes me think, like, this guy, he's going to be special. And to think he learned for how many years under Tom Brady, I knew that he was going to be good, and there's a reason why Belichick wanted to hold on to him. But Brady and, and Kraft kind of forced him out. So I'd probably still take the Niners coming out of the AFC and then out of the NFC, rather. And then the AFC, it's for me, it's kind of a toss-out. I mean, I'd like to see Kansas City do something, but, I mean, you're looking at probably Baltimore. So I'm looking at uh, had Jim Harbaugh been there, it would have been the Harbaugh Bowl Park too. But I'm, I definitely, I think I like the two top seeds, the uh, the Niners and the Ravens. It'll be interesting to see, and it would be a replay of a Super Bowl. Which, by the way, she said she didn't do it, but she did because I, I was told that in the in the warm up of everything, she had knocked out the power three times. That was the game where where the the Niners were playing well, and then Beyonce knocked out the power, and then the Ravens won. So. <laughs> You know, so maybe, just maybe, the Ravens are hoping that Beyonce will make a guest appearance at this year's Super Bowl. We'll have to see. But it's going to be good no matter what. I'm excited for it. It's going to be great. I'm excited for this weekend that we have, too, at Marywood University. We spoke on the men's side of it. Enrico's in year number five. Jen Carlton's in year number one. And, you know, the these some of the women on the team have had three coaches in three years. They had Tara Machaco, who was there for over a decade then they had Gabby Holko for a season, uh, and, and Tara, a good friend of mine, Gabby, a good friend of mine, Jen Carlton and I, and I have built our relationship now. She seems like she really cares, and she's bringing her own personality to the table. What can you say about Jen Carlton in year one at Marywood? And then secondly, the fact that some of these young women have had three coach, three head coaches in three years. Well, Coach Carlton, when I first met her, I, as I, I was actually meeting with new athletic director Patrick Murphy and it just so happened that coach Carlton was in her office and I was talking to uh, Mr. Murphy about I need to set up a, a meeting with her and she just so happened to be over there not doing anything so I went over and met her and talked to her and everything and she has basically 
the same impression that I got that day is what I've seen from her coaching wise. And it's, and she's, uh, done a pretty solid job with her team. They're, they're beat up a little bit right now. You have a couple of injuries with, uh, Marissa Fernandez Tierney, who is probably one of the biggest injuries because she's that, she brings that energy all, all over the floor. And, and Jade Rowland's got that ankle injury that's bothering her again. They're optimistic she'll play Saturday. We're, we're hoping for the best, but it was, she was just on crutches, uh, last week. So, uh, We'll have to we'll have to see with that. She's probably going to be game time decision on Saturday, just depending on how she does. But Coach Carlton's done a pretty solid job. They're kind of it's kind of a rebuilding year, but what we're seeing with the younger players is that they have talent, and a lot of it's going to be getting used to playing college basketball, getting used to playing the level of talent that they haven't played before. So I think she's doing a really good job working with the program. And there was something that on Monday when they played Penn College, there was she must have said something in the locker room at halftime because they were down by 18 points and they decided to come out of the locker room, storm all the way back, and came back and won the game. So clearly she's doing something right. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing, and especially that to be down by almost 20 and, and to be able to command a team back to success that is dealing with injuries and dealing with change and, and all this stuff going on. But, you know, what are you taking away from the players? Because my my experience with them at the at the dinner, the, at the tip-off dinner, you know, the banquet that, that we had that I had an opportunity to be a part with with Duran, Duran Dickerson and, and obviously Enrico and Jen and, and the teams, you know, they seem to have a pretty good relationship with her. They seem to have taken a Jen Carlton right off the bat. What have you seen from the players? Do, do do they seem to have that connection with her and 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 to appreciate her being there? Because you know these young women like again have been through a lot. But at least from my experience with the team around Jen, it seems like they almost immediately were like, "Hey, this is the new chapter. We're gonna be okay." You know, I, I'm the new den mother here, but I got you. It's it seemed like things started to click, at least in my opinion, right right off the bat between her and getting through to the team. Yeah, I think it did, and um, I think what definitely helped the transition was having retaining assistant coach Joe Reno, and the uh, the players really took to him pretty well. So having him to help adjust to Coach Carlton, and, and especially him being able to introduce them to her and having them get to know her and everything. So it seems as though that the players have started to adjust them a little bit more. They definitely seem to be taken to her very, very well. Uh, I, I don't really know how the the uh, the end with Coach Hulko kind of went about, but they all said it was kind of a, a bit of a shock, nothing out like that crazy. But when they had Coach uh, Coach Carlton come in, they uh, they kind of t- took to her really, really well and. They kind of understand her philosophy and the way that she wants to go about playing with her team, and it's definitely going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, you know, and and that's a good thing to to see that and to be able to have that. I know I spoke with Gabby about it. She said she called each player individually. Uh, Marywood will always mean something to her. She didn't, you know, obviously it's it's hard to do something like that to leave, but Jen really just stepped in and 
and has done a good job. And, and Gabby had positive things to say about Jen, which is always great to see in that transition. And Gabby said that she actually left folder upon folder, just all her files so that Jen would have it. And that she had that conversation of, you know, appreciation of thank you for leaving this. And, you know, Gabby had the mentality of leave it better than then you found it. And, you know, any way she could help the next coach she wanted to. So shows the stand-up person that Gabby Holko is. And, you know, obviously from being around Jen and, and talking with her a bunch in these last few months, it's it's I think that they're in good hands. And I'm happy to see this. So we get to the doubleheader. It's, it's this weekend. You and I are talking here on Friday, January 10th. On Saturday, January 11th at 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern time, we have the women's game first, the men's game second. They're going up against Gwyneth Mercy, and we're going to be on site, on location at Marywood University. Uh, very excited to have this MU court side. Uh, you know, it means the world to me, and I know it means a, a lot to you and, and, and everything that it has. And so what are you looking forward to about this? I know that you reached out to me and asked me to be a part of it this season like last season. So uh, it's you and I sitting there. We got the double header. We're going to have some fun. We're going to throw it back and forth. What are you looking forward to with knowing that the doubleheader's coming up, court side's coming up, and, and you and I get to get to strap up again with this thing and, and see what we can make happen inside of the uh, the, the awesome, awesome uh, home of, of Marywood University? Well, I think it's always good when you have a chance to pick the brain of someone who's been in the industry for as many as as long as you have being able to do what you've done over the course of your career, especially having been a graduate of Marywood. So I always, I definitely looked forward to that because as soon as uh, Coach Mastriani kind of introduced me to you last year, I, I kind of knew that I could, we could really create a, a nice friendship going. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun last year. We were able to bounce off each other really well. And it's always a lot more fun when you have another announcer with you because I've done some of the games myself this year. And it's sometimes you have to try to do play-by-play and color commentary. So that's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's still fun regardless. Yeah. But it's definitely going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it, especially with all the kids that are going to be in the crowd. We're having uh, youth day. So any of the kids that come out wearing their their youth league jerseys they'll get in for free get a free hot dog and a drink and they get to meet some of the players so it's going to be cool to have some of the kids in the crowd it's going to be really really cool atmosphere on saturday yeah it's going to be awesome Uh, very excited about youth day and and seeing all the kids come out i implore everybody to pack the gymnasium for this game it would be great it would be great to have that atmosphere for the men's team and the women's team and just like when i was on campus i'm like what else you got going on you know just come out see the game support it be a part of it it's, it's Saturday, January 11th. The women's team is at 1 p.m. again. The men's team is at 3 p.m. A doubleheader at home against Gwyneth Mercy. And a lot of respect for Jen Carlton and Enrico Mastriani, as well as the man that I will be sitting next to in this, which I'm uh, very looking for, very much looking forward to having another opportunity with you, Brendan. And, and the cool thing about it is we have the color and we have the play-by-play. You know, you take one side, I take the other, but it's about color. It's it's about having fun and making things interesting. And you know it with your career, and and I know it with mine. Your personality is what makes people come back. You know, anybody can talk about sports. Anybody can spew statistics. But it's your personality that makes somebody want to date you, somebody want to be friends with you, somebody want to hire you, and somebody want to listen and watch. And the reality of it all is if you, if you have a good personality, if you're a genuine human being, 
and that and that that'll come out and people see what you know real recognizes real and and ultimately if you have it you have it and when you have it you, you use it and and I think that that's the biggest part of it is when you speak for a living you, you have to be good at it I think a lot of people in this day and age in social media everybody thinks that they're a broadcaster everybody thinks that they're a genius but the reality of it all is when you turn on the microphone it's a different world and I haven't looked at a shot sheet of anything. I, I don't have any notes here. I'm just speaking from the heart off the cuff. And you're doing the same thing. And here we are for over a half an hour having a conversation. So I know people are going to have fun if they listen in and if they watch. And I implore them to do so. Let everybody know. I mean, obviously, if they're if they're at the if they're at Marywood University, they're going to see us there. But if they want to watch and listen, where can they do that? Well, this year we've got a brand new partnership with Blue Frame Tech. The Atlantic East Conference does. So we have a brand new network. The Atlantic East Network has their own website, theatlanticeastnetwork.com. Or on the App Store, you have the Atlantic East Network app. And all you have to do is just pull up atlanticeastnetwork.com and search Marywood. And then you will be able to find any previous games on demand. Or you can find the game on Saturday afternoon. Both games will be on there. And it's going to be a lot of fun, along with all the other games from the conference and, and every sport. It's definitely been a great partnership. Graphics look a million times better, and all of our streaming looks a lot better. So it's I'm definitely it's been a lot better this year, and I'm definitely looking forward to uh, having you down on Saturday. And I, I have I have adopted in memory of one of my favorites the Tony Stark goatee that is constantly being changed on my face. I, I am bringing that to the table this time, too. So we have a special guest that will be there as well. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've, actually, I've been growing out a beard myself, but uh, I think it's it's time. I've been sh- starting to shave it a little bit when I'm uh, when I'm going on. i got to have that, uh, that nice, clean baby face when I'm, uh, when I'm on camera. All right, well, I'll bring the goatee, so I'll bring the facial hair for the both of us. So bring it, yeah, bring it for the both of us. <laughs> Just make sure that Enrico's got some Jolly Ranchers for us. That's all I ask for. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that coming from Brendan Murphy, the host of MU Courtside. We will be together this Saturday, January 11th, 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. for the doubleheader. And like, Brent, like Brendan said, you can watch us on the Atlantic East Network. Make sure that you do that. I'll put links up on Facebook at Wake Up Call DT, Twitter at Call DT, and Instagram at wakeupcall underscore DT. Brendan, as always, I cannot thank you enough. You have been, honestly, one of the uh, most awesome people in my life for giving me the opportunity to come back and do this. So thank you so much, and and I will uh, get my butt down there and be ready for these games, and I look forward to doing it. Well, thanks a lot, Dan. It's been fun, and I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. All right, man. Take care. Thanks a lot.